Thank you, Gerald, for, for reading and for leading us in prayer. Um, last week, as some of you might remember, we began our, our mini-series on focusing on the gift of marriage. And we saw that marriage is, is a, created by God and, and for our good, that marriage is this holy, creative bond, and that marriage shows us the gospel. Well, this week, we're focusing on the second half of our mini-series, singleness. And to be clear, that singleness is the state of being unmarried. If you're not married, biblically, you're viewed as single. And like last week, we begin with something of, of a contrast between a, a popular view in our culture and what's often a popular view in the church. In our secular culture, singleness, not being married, is often seen as a good thing. It allows you to be free. You, you can live without the extra responsibilities that a spouse or that children bring with them. And so in this way, in our singleness, we can do, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. And, and we can be free to discover who we really are. We can, we can be our true authentic selves without the restrictions that others bring on us. However, on the other hand, in the church, many of us think of singleness as something uh, kind of tragic. It is, it is something to be unwanted. It's unfortunate. To be single is often lamented by those who are. Like, God, what are you doing? And it's pitied by those who aren't. And so maybe some of us, either we have said this ourselves, or maybe we've, we've heard others say this, oftentimes well-meaning, but we'll say things like, you know, I can't believe you're single. You're, you're just such a catch. Or, you know, don't worry. You'll, you'll find someone someday. And what is subtly or sometimes not so subtly communicated is that singleness is bad and unwanted. To, to be single is seen as a second best option. And maybe in the church, it would be a bit, a bit extreme, but we might be more likely to believe that singleness is a curse or God's discipline than it is a blessing or a good thing. And so today, as we approach our, our text in 1 Corinthians, we will see that, that both of these views miss the mark. We'll see that our culture misuses singleness. And in the church, we often misunderstand singleness. And that just as last week we saw that marriage is a good gift from God for our good and to his glory, so too, singleness is a gift from God for our good to his glory. We're going to be radical and we're going to break free from three points. We're going to look at four points today. And we're going to see that singleness is a gift from God for our good and to his glory. And we'll be very upfront. We're not going to be able to wrestle with everything Paul says in these verses. But as we begin, the first truth we're going to see is that singleness is a gift from God. Very simple. Singleness is a gift from God. In verse 1, Paul uh, quotes an expression that the Corinthians have written to him. He says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And he's quoting this pro-celibacy group in the Corinthian church who's basically advocating married or single, everyone should be celibate all the time. And, and in verses 2 through 6, Paul makes it very clear, celibacy should not be normal for married couples. And only in the, in the exception, if both agree for a time, for a specific purpose, prayer. But after clarifying this, Paul makes it clear in verse 7, he says, 
I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. Paul makes it clear that his personal preference is singleness. But, but Paul acknowledges that everyone has their own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, Paul is not talking about these gifts in the same way that he'll be talking about spiritual gifts later on in 1 Corinthians 12. The, the, the gifts of singleness and marriage are not special spiritual gifts for sanctification, your sanctification and the building up of the church in the same way that the gift of hospitality is or, or the gift of teaching. You, you do not need to be a super Christian or specially endowed to have the gift of marriage or to have the gift of singleness. They are gifts of estates, ways of life, ways of being. And both are gifts, so both are good ways of life. And how do you, can you tell which gift you have? Well, it's pretty simple. If you're married, you have the gift of marriage. If you are single, you have the gift of singleness. And your gift may change over time. Some uh, married folks will one day be single again. Some singles will one day be married. But, but whatever your current state is now, that is your present gift. Now, now looking back to our text, Paul continues in verse 8. He says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. To be single, to be unmarried is a good thing. And to be clear, this is, Paul is not trying to, to degrade marriage or, or push it down. Rather, Paul elevates marriage. Marriage is great. Marriage is wonderful. And so too is singleness. It is wonderful. It is good. And for many of us in the church, whether we're married or single, we might be thinking, how on earth is this supposed to be a gift? Well, part of the, the advantage or understanding of the nature of the gift of singleness we find in those verses 32 to 35. In these verses, Paul makes it clear that, that if you're married and, and presumably have kids, you're going to be concerned about the affairs of this world. That's the way Paul words it. That is, if you're a husband, you're going to be preoccupied with your wife, with, with how to provide for my family, how do I raise my kids. And in the same way, if you're a wife, a lot of your focus is going to be on, on your husband and your kids and your family. And so, although marriage is a good gift from God, it is a gift where you surrender much of your time and much of your freedom. You no longer belong to yourself, you belong to your spouse. And, and everything in your life becomes different. You're, you're always having to think of another person when you're making decisions, especially big decisions. And, and it adds new responsibilities to the responsibilities you already had before. And so marriage, as great as it is, is time-consuming. For example, imagine a married person comes home from work and they're thinking about what are we, the family, going to eat for dinner? Did my kids have a good day at school? Did they have homework tonight? Do I have time to help them? Oh, how was my spouse's day? Is there laundry for tomorrow? You are concerned about the things of this world. But if you're single, it's not that you're totally carefree and you have nothing to do, but to a greater measure, you are free from many of these concerns. The single person can come home from work and maybe, spur of the moment, I'm going out for dinner with friends. I don't really want to be around anyone tonight. I'm just going to stay home and be quiet, read, work on a project. However, 
this personal freedom is not the end of the gift of singleness. And this is very important to understand because this is a huge distinction between our culture and biblical Christianity. Whereas our culture wants you to spend your singleness on yourself. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that while there's greater freedom in the gift of singleness, this freedom is meant not to be spent indulging yourself, but rather it's to be lived focused upon God and his church. In verse 35, Paul very clearly says that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're single, whether you are 15 years old, whether you are 95 years old, or somewhere in between, it is a gift from God that allows you to live undividedly to Him, to God. And so it is in this way that singleness is a good gift from God. However, although singleness is a gift from God, it can easily be abused or misused. And that leads us to our second point. Singleness is a gift from God that can be wasted. Singleness is a gift from God that can be wasted. Although singleness is a gift, it is not one that we always value or that we want. And here, there are a couple different ways that believers can waste or throw away their gift of singleness. Because because we often, we, we understand that singleness is often temporary. Um, many singles will one day get married. Uh, but some singles, though, will not. And we don't know who will get married and who won't. God does not give us a timeline. He doesn't give us a special set of promises. If you just do this, then I'll give you that spouse. We don't know yet if it is his will. And so there can be a, a temptation for single people to think, you know, my life will really get started. Once I get married, that's when it all take off. Um, a Zambian pastor, Conrad Mumbiwe, uses the imagery of waiting in an airport. If, you, if you've ever had a, a layover and you're waiting for your flight to take off, he says, a lot of times you're wandering around the airport trying to kill time, waiting for your flight to take off. Well, singles can fall in the trap of trying to kill time, thinking that their life will really take off once they get married. And so the danger here for singles is to not fritter away your time on trivialities or simply indulging yourself. But put another way, a danger that comes with singleness and this added freedom is that we become overly self-preoccupied. It's all about me. We become selfish. And, and a form of this self-preoccupation, my, filling my needs, my wants, it's about making me happy, is in the realm of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality was a very serious temptation to the believers in Corinth, in the ancient world. And it is still a temptation today to believers in modern Canada. And so singles can be tempted to use their gift of singleness and using it as an excuse to sin, rather than to grow in holiness. If we look back up to verse 9, Paul says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than, than burn with passion. The, the Apostle Paul is very aware that both men and women have sexual desires. And these sexual desires are not bad in and of themselves, but these desires are never an excuse to sin. And they do not change the requirement for celibacy within singleness. 
in the ancient world, in the church in Corinth, they had very real temptations. You had uh, old-fashioned prostitution, you had religious prostitution, you had concubines, you had public baths, public showers shared in the Roman world. And in our contemporary world, prostitution is still alive and well. But we have to deal with things like pornography, with hookup culture, casual dating, or maybe in some uh, circles it's a bit more respectable, just cohabitation. Let's just live together, but not get married. And not only are these becoming more prevalent in our culture, but they're actually becoming more prevalent at a younger and younger age. And while, to be clear, none of these are beyond the grace of God, they are still real and serious sins. And, and if here, if we have failed, the overwhelming teacher of Scripture is not keep it a secret, let no one ever find out. It's not, oh, I've wasted some time of my singleness, doesn't matter what I do now. No, the overwhelming teaching of Scripture is to turn to Christ, who will not push you away, to repent from your sin. And by the Holy Spirit's enabling and having good Christian friends to learn to live in purity, in obedience, in faithfulness to God. And to many inside, and even some, uh, uh, and to some inside and many outside of the church, this can seem harsh, it can seem legalistic, unloving. I mean, how can we ask people to deny themselves these desires? How is that loving, to, to let these de desires be unfulfilled? Well, the Apostle Paul wrestles with this uh, earlier in chapter 6. Pa Paul says, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He goes on to say, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You can live a happy and fulfilled life in chastity and celibacy. And the supreme example of that, and the only perfect example of that, is Jesus Christ himself. Here Jesus is truly man, really, really, truly God, and very single. And he was complete. He was fulfilled. Sex is a gift from God, yes. But it is a gift to be enjoyed within the constraints and limits of marriage. And while sex is a good gift from God, human beings, we're not created for sex. That is not our highest end or ultimate end. We were made for God. And Paul is very direct in verse 9. If you are single and you still have these strong sexual desires, you don't need to pretend that you don't have them. But you also shouldn't use them as an excuse to sin. See, and Paul, Paul here is not saying, okay, you have these urges, just go out there and get married to the first person who's willing quickly. No, but he's saying if you desire some of the benefits of marriage... It is not wrong to pursue marriage. Look for a godly spouse. It's not a guarantee that God will give you that. But it is not wrong to desire it. It is not wrong to pursue it. Singleness can be tough. Marriage can also be tough. Talk to some married people. And maybe you didn't ask for the gift of singleness. But if you are single now, you have the gift now. And so while there might be difficulty in the gift... Let us not use that difficulty as an excuse to waste it. 
Elizabeth Elliot uh, married at a young age. Her husband Jim uh, was a missionary in Ecuador, and, and he and his friends were, were killed by the people they were trying to evangelize. And, and many years after this, Elizabeth wrote, Having now spent more than 41 years single, I have learned that it is indeed a gift, not one I would choose, not one many women would choose. But we do not choose our gifts, remember? We are given them by a divine giver who knows the end from the beginning and wants above all else to give us the gift of himself. So friends, fellow singles out there, let us not waste our time as a single waiting around for life to get started. Let us not waste our time just focused on ourselves. And let us not waste our time playing around with sin. But let us use our time and embrace our gift by looking to God. And this leads us to our third point. Singleness is a gift from God for us to use for the sake of the gospel. Singleness is a gift to be used for the sake of the gospel. One of the tremendous gifts of singleness that that many of us might overlook is that gift of time, that, that extra freedom. And that time could be used to grow in our relationship with God and also in the service of the gospel and of the church. And how might this look? There might be other ways, but some ways this might look for us. As if you're single, God might be giving you more time to spend with him in prayer and in study and in his word. Again, thinking of Jesus, who was a full man and really single. We're we're told in the Gospels that he often arose early and went off to pray with his Lord. If you're single, God might be giving you freedom for a time to grow closer to him, to, to grow in the knowledge of your Lord, to grow in maturity and find contentment with him. Another way that this devotion to the Lord might look is in missionary service. And yes, married people do and can and do serve as missionaries. And singles aren't required to be missionaries. But in your singleness, God might be giving you the opportunities to serve for the cause of the gospel abroad that might not be so feasible for some married folks here. And just because you're single does not mean you're excluded from ministry. Never make that mistake. Singles are and can be extremely valuable in the service of the spread of the gospel. The Apostle Paul serves as one example of that. Here's Paul, a single man. And and from a human perspective, if the Apostle Paul was married and had a bunch of kids, maybe he would not have gone on all those missionary journeys through the churches in the early church. Or a more contemporary example I found on the Gospel Coalition website of of Latin America, uh, Jeanine Martinez is a younger single woman, I think probably in her 30s. And, and she has used this gift of time to pursue education. She has two, two master's degrees in the States, one in theology, one in environmental engineering. And, and as a single, in her love of, of people and of the gospel, she serves as a missionary at Iglesia Reforma, a church in Guatemala City. Guatemala, Guatemala City. And there she serves joyfully content in her singleness because she has God and it has given her the ability to use her time for his service. 
Now, singles, you don't always just have to go abroad to be useful. You can be useful and use your gift here. You don't have to leave Grace Valley. You can use your gift right here in your local church. And, and there are many ways this could look, but one important way this might look is in the discipleship and mentorship of children and teenagers. Because kids and, and, and even teenagers need the mentorship and discipleship of their parents. But they also need the time, love, and wisdom of other adults, other Christian adults in their lives. And here, singles have a bit of a unique advantage. Because we have more time, we, we might be able to have special opportunities to come alongside children and teenagers that some married folks won't have the opportunities to. After all, it's important for us to remember, singleness was not meant to be aloneness. We, we as believers, we are united to Jesus Christ through faith, but we do all need deep human relationships. And, and some of this will, will look in the form of, of discipleship and, and mentor relationships. But, but another way, and sometimes they, they overlap, they're not exclusive, is through the avenue of cultivating Christian friendship. Friendships where we actually know other believers, like really, really. They know the best of us and the worst of us. And we develop a genuine, mutual affection for each other. Maybe like David loved Jonathan in the Old Testament. And they were not ashamed to be loving friends as men. Men and women need real friendships. And here, singles and married, we're distinct, we're different. But it doesn't mean we need to be segregated. And, and in fact, singles, we need you married couples in our lives. If you're married, you, you might not be aware of this, but you and your marriage together can actually be a great source of encouragement and blessing to singles. How might that look? Well, on a personal note, as, as a man who's, who's unmarried, I have found um, great, immense blessing in, in Kyle and Julie. Kyle and Julie, if you don't know them, they are members in this church. And they have two very cute, adorable little boys. And some nights, Kyle and Julie will have me over for dinner. And I can just be with the family. And some nights, I might even get to help put the little boys to bed. Read to them, brush, brush their teeth, help them brush their teeth. And, and for me, that can be a lot of fun. It can kind of be exciting. And, and it is a great source of encouragement. Singles, when you have us over, or anybody when you have us over, we don't need to be entertained. We don't need the house to be spotless, the family look perfect, don't let them see anything. We need genuine friends with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we cultivate these kind of relationships, we might all be surprised in the ways that we'll be blessed and built up and edified together as a church and as believers. And, and there'll probably be some awkward moments along the way where we'll say something we wish we didn't. But that's going to happen. And that gives us the opportunity to show patience and to show grace to one another. And so perhaps one takeaway of this is for us all to think about how may we better include others in our lives. Maybe we have a little courage and we invite someone over. And maybe as, if you're a single, you have a bit of humility and courage. And sometimes we have to accept those invitations. I'm an introvert. It can be hard to accept them. But we have to learn to accept them. Embrace our gift. And it might look like inviting people over 
not just for dinner, maybe invite us over to help prepare dinner, do dishes. Maybe just spend some family time together. If you have movie nights or game nights, maybe include people in that. Or when appropriate, maybe even have some, some people over to help with the bedtime routine. Read to your kids before bed. Singleness is different from marriage. It is unique, but it is a gift from God. And it's given to us that we would be devoted to God, devoted to His church, that we would spend it not on ourselves, but on, for His glory, for the spread of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, abroad and right here in Dundas. And lastly, we must see that singleness is a gift from God that shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. Singleness is a gift from God that shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. Last week, you might remember, we talked about how marriage gives us a a visible picture of the gospel. Well, the gift of singleness helps us understand a different facet of the gospel, the gospel from a bit of a different angle. In in his excellent book, uh, Seven Myths About Singles, Sam Elberry, um, a pastor, a Brit, um, he makes this point. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. Well, how how does singleness do that? Well, consider this. In marriage, we're given this this picture of the gospel. It points towards um, our current union with Christ. We're united to Christ by faith. But it points us towards the greater union, the consummation of that union, when we'll see him, when we'll behold him. And one of the images, images Scripture gives us that is of the eternal wedding and marriage with God himself, where we will enjoy him forever. Well, in singleness, the gift of singleness, singles show us that knowing God is enough. You know, it can be easy for married people to make an idol of their spouse. It can be easy for single people to make an idol of wanting a spouse. But when we embrace the gift of singleness, it shows us that Christ is the one who really satisfies. Christ is the one that we cannot live without. It points us to a greater pleasure that we will all one day experience of knowing him at that greater wedding to come in heaven that we will all enjoy. And maybe think about it from this angle. The Apostle Paul, a single man, can write these words in Philippians. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. A a loving marriage shows us a hint of what is to come. A holy single, when when we singles, when we're really satisfied in Christ, it shows us that what is to come is worth waiting for. What is to come is worth living for. Maybe a a little illustration of that is you might be at a restaurant and you may politely say no to a really nice appetizer, knowing that the main course is still to come. And so just as we should be reminded and encouraged of the gospel by loving marriages and the beauty of marriage, so too should we all be encouraged and reminded of the intimacy of knowing God. That knowing God is enough. That he is the one that truly satisfies us. That, that even as a single, having God is enough. If we have him, we have everything. And some of us, we're going to have the gift of singleness our whole lives. 
But in our singleness, if we have Christ, we have Him, the one we need. And we might not all experience the, the earthly wedding, the pleasure of an earthly wedding in marriage, but as a result of the gospel, all of us, every single one of us believers, we are going to experience the joy of the greater wedding to come between Christ and His church. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, eternal God, thank you, Lord, for the gift of singleness. Thank you for the singles you put in our lives. Lord, not just open our eyes how we can better love them. For us who are single, Lord, help us to, to think about how we can use our, ga- our gift for your service faithfully. Help us to honor one another, Lord. Help us to honor and support marriages. Help us to honor and support singles. For your glory, we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Thank you very much. Uh, It's probably not often that uh, you hear a a message on singleness. You probably hear lots of wedding or uh, sermons on marriage, but you don't really hear many sermons on singleness. And so I'm going to call an audible here. I want to take advantage of the opportunity. We do take uh, questions after uh, messages on occasion and uh, we weren't doing that with Keith's uh, messages because we didn't, you know, it's, it's a, it can be a little intimidating to have to try to answer questions uh, just sort of on the fly. But we're going to do it anyway, Keith. So um, you and I will do this together. So I will, I will do it with you. But if, if you have a question, 905-517-0936. You can text the question to that number, 905-517-0936. Or you can... Just raise your hand and share a question if you have one around this topic of singleness and being a follower of Jesus. Yeah. So can I take this one? Go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> so he doesn't actually say you got to be married. He says if he's married, he needs to be the husband of one wife. So he's actually talking about two things. Uh, most specifically, he's talking about polygamy. And secondarily, he's talking about, you know, their, their past relationships. Have they been divorced and remarried? And what's the context of that? It's not saying that you can't have been divorced and remarried and, and still be an, and, and no longer be allowed to be an elder. But he's talking about their past relationships. So there's no, um, there's no requirement for marriage for, for, uh, for an elder. But if they are going to be an elder and they are married, they sure better be married to just one woman. So, te- so literally, the Greek there is, he should be a one-woman man. That's, that's actually what it says in the, in the original Greek. So that's why I took that one, because that's a tricky one. Good question, though. Very good question. 
Oh, and I apologize to all the people downstairs who are like, what was the question? The question was, <laughs> Paul and Timothy says that, um, that uh, an elder should be the husband of one wife. Does that mean that, a hu- that an elder ought to be married? And I was just saying no. Any other questions? Really? Come on, like... This is like, I, I've, I've actually never preached a sermon on singleness. So I'm assuming it's pretty rare to hear a sermon on singleness. It was such a good sermon. Nobody has a question. Go ahead. If you're a divorced person and single, how does the gift of singleness fit into that paradigm? Is that sort of what you're asking? Do you want me to take this one too? Or? Go right ahead, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I thought there'd be more like practical questions <laughs> as opposed to these theological questions. Well, that's, that's a big thing. So first of all, the gifting does not... It's interesting. Does, does, does the language of gifting fit that context? And under certain circumstances, it most definitely w- would, because there are biblical, um, there are biblically, biblically sanctioned reasons to be divorced. Uh, and so there are there are good reasons that people are allowed to to, to divorce under certain circumstances. Um, desertion, Paul talks about in First Corinthians, and of course uh, in Matthew twenty-two, Jesus talks about adultery. Um, however. A person who is divorced is now in the state of singleness. Are, is that, are they experiencing the gift of singleness? I don't know. Maybe I should have let Keith answer this one, because I don't know if I have an answer for it either. I, I honestly, I don't know. I'm trying to think fast, but I don't think I can think fast enough to answer that question. I guess on some level you are because the state itself, as Keith said in his message, the state itself is the gift. And sometimes you maybe you receive the gift under circumstances that are not ideal, but that doesn't mean that the gift itself is necessarily invalidated by the way it was entered into. But I got to think more about that. Can I add something quickly? Yeah, totally. Um, it, it is a that's a great question. It's a difficult question. Um, maybe one way to think about this: Paul openly acknowledges the category of widows, someone whose their spouse has died. Um, can it really be a gift for someone who's lost their beloved? Now I have the gift of singleness again. Uh, and Paul says, "As am I." So I'm not sure if Paul, the Apostle Paul, was never married. Maybe he's married and he's a widow. In the sentence, he could be either. Um, so singleness is a gift. It is a gift, sometimes not without scars. If that makes sense. That was be, good. That's a good point. That just makes, there's even more to think about. Uh, okay. Is dating classified more as singleness or marriage? 
um, biblically, singleness. Uh, biblically, uh, does the category of engagement, engagement would have been pretty much you're married in the ancient world. Um, but if you are not married, biblically, you're viewed as a single. So you can be dating, like I am, and single, biblically. It's a bit, maybe it's a bit strange for our, our modern Western minds to wrestle with, but those are the categories, biblically. Yeah, there is no category for dating in the Bible. Uh, this question is, how can we approach individuals who are married but continue to live as if they are single? Specifically, those who are in ministry. The context is there are some well-known Christian leaders who elevate their ministry above their families. And the answer is, obviously, with love and gentleness, but also firmness, because you are not supposed to sacrifice your family for the sake of your ministry. Um, just like anybody who is uh, owning a business or working on a career or whatever, you're never, ever, ever supposed to sacrifice your work for your family, or sacrifice your family for your work. You have responsibilities to your family, and you are called to fulfill those responsibilities and love your family. And anybody who puts their work ahead of their family is failing to uphold their responsibilities, according to Scripture. So it's the same whether it's Christian ministry or it's a trade or whether it's a professional uh, vocation. Um, if you currently have the gift of singleness but would like to be married, how do you balance that desire for marriage with being content with the current gift of singleness you have? Should we be praying for marriage? Great question. One I personally struggle with uh, over the years. I would say, it, how do you balance? Uh, it's not wrong to pray for a spouse. I think when you pray, maybe one thing to wrestle with is, what if, what if God says no? Or just, not yet, and I won't tell you when. And um, I think one of, one of the signs of an idol is that we put it above God. And so if God tells us no, if someone threatens that, we despair, not just sad, we're We're crushed. We grow bitter towards God. You know what? God, if you're not giving me a spouse, I don't need to believe in you anymore. Those are sure signs of an idol. But you can, I think, desire something sincerely. And maybe there, there's pain sometimes involved in that. And, and not be an idol. So there has to be some heart probing. Maybe one way is talk to some other Christian friends, believers. Get their perspective. I don't know if that answers. Sure, I think that answers. I mean, it, it's like anything else. You have a desire, but if, if it becomes an over-desire, it becomes a problem. Remember, we, we, we love Augustine here, right? And he always talked about having your loves properly ordered. So if you love God above all things, uh, and, and then you love your family, and then you love your uh, friends, and then you love your work, then you th have things in a proper order. And if you have a desire to be married, um, and God has not answered that uh, prayer and that desire, if you become bitter, if you become angry, if you become obsessed, uh, you obviously are living with disordered de uh, desires, and you are putting in the place of God something that ought not be there. A spouse is great. Like, don't forget, when you're single, I know, like, and this is a problem in the church. We all, we, like, I like how Keith put it, you know, like, you're such a good catch. How come you haven't been caught yet? 
right? And, uh, oh, you know, don't worry, you'll find somebody sometime. We, we do have this idea that you are sort of unfulfilled or incomplete when you're not married. And maybe that's because we emphasize Genesis so much. But the New Testament does not emphasize, it doesn't, it doesn't degrade marriage. What it does is it elevates singleness, right? Like when Paul writes this in Corinthians, it would have been actually, it would have blown everybody's mind. Greeks, Jews, everybody would have been like, what? You are actually saying it's okay to be single because nobody in the ancient world thought that being single was a good thing at all. And so he, he elevates singleness. And in the church, we have to start understanding singleness as a gift in a way that historically maybe we haven't, we haven't done so for a long time. And I think it would help singles among us to have married people in their lives, dare I say not be so married when they're talking to them, right? You know, so I have a very good friend who was single till he was 40. And what I loved about how he handled his singleness was, is he was, he cultivated his friendships. He didn't he didn't say, oh, all my friends are getting married and having kids, and now I don't relate to them very well, etc. He kept pressing and, and, and kept calling up his married friends saying, let's get together. Now, that's one of the things that's going to happen to you, singles. I got to admit, based upon the divided thing that, that Keith taught us this morning, um, married people have divided attention. And so they're going to be less uh, inclined to call you and invite you over then you are going to be to call them and invite yourself over. What my friend did was he just accepted that and said, that's how it is. As a single guy, I'm going to have to get a little bit pushy with my friends sometimes. And he did that, and it was awesome. My kids grew up knowing him as uncle so-and-so, and he was involved in our family, and we loved him dearly, and it was, it was great for my wife and I to have this guy in our home and in our kids' lives, and it, it was absolutely beautiful. But you have to not make your marriage the things that you're always talking about with your single people. Like, you don't have to always have get together with four couples and your single friend and talk about your kids the whole time. Or talk about, and it's usually kids. Right? Like, you gotta, you gotta, start, you gotta expand your horizon a little bit and see that life is beyond that and more than that. One more question, I think, and, and this is a good one. I think it's really good. Um, sometimes I struggle to view singleness as a gift that allows more time in our culture where it is so expensive just to live. Single means one income, cost of living is so high, no tax benefits of marriage, etc. How do we balance using that gift well when it's easy to feel burnt out on working full time? living by yourself, taking care of your house by yourself, and paying all the bills. Oh, I have a lot I want to say on this, but you go ahead first. Um, again, I'm sympathetic to the question, um, and I, I think I can, I can understand where the person's coming from. Um, just it won't answer it entirely, um, but, but maybe that's where in our, in, as a church, in our particular context, we need to be a bit more creative. Like married people, would you, you know, give a single person maybe cheaper rent to live with you? Yes. Um, do, do you live with family? Um, do you live with a, a group of other singles 
maybe even Christians in the church. Like, we, we, I, I do agree, it's probably not as practical for a single person to live on their own in a home anywhere near the GTA. Probably. If you can, kudos. But um, if not, then I think, yeah, be creative. And not just for monetary gain, but look for a godly spouse if you desire it. Yeah, um, I think, <clears throat> I just want to add to this because I have thought about this a fair bit. Uh, I think we have to be more creative as people around all kinds of things. For example, home ownership. Why can't, why can't two single people or three single people buy a house together and divide it up and live that way? And then if the day comes when someone gets married, the other two buy out the third person or whatever. Why, why can't we do that? Why can't uh, those of us who are married and have families convert part of our house into an apartment and rent it to a single person, perhaps someone we know well within the church who's a, a younger, uh, has a bit of time on their hands, and you actually incorporate them a little bit into the life of your family. Uh, Keith talks about his relationship with Kyle and Julie. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. Why can't we do more of that kind of thing where we, we, we think creatively about how to co-house. It's, a, it's a, 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 a growing thing in our culture. And strangely enough, I think in the church, we still have this like, and not just in the church, but in our culture, we still have this belief that the dream is I get married and I buy a single family home and we live there just with, the, with our family. And I think that those, the, so first of all, those, those, that kind of living is only like 100 years old, if that, in our culture. I don't know if you know that, but it was rare for single families to live all by themselves prior to the Industrial Revolution. Uh, and I think we have to think creatively about ways to get out of that. Young people, you're 22, 23, 24, or whatever, you're single, you now have a job or whatever, why don't you guys buy a house together and say we're going to live together for three or four years and we'll have one communal meal uh, every, th you know, every th we'll have three communal meals a, a week or something. Uh, we have a common space and then we also have our own space. Anyhow, I'm going on and on about that. But. And if you have a house, especially those of us like myself who are starting to see uh, their, 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 their youngins starting to leave. Some of you are much further along on that front than I am. Like, you got all this house. I do not, I, I mean, I love my wife, but we're like, man, eventually it's just going to be the two of us in this place. Why does it have to stay that way? Take, take the next young crew in with you and let them live in your space with uh, paying rent and having a bit of their own space, but having communal meal areas, etc. Anyhow, I want to be a house mother and father someday. That's my dream. So...